Vikings at their own 39. It's third down. Three receivers right, field, and left. Marshawn Lattimore, 12 yards from Adam. Case on a deep drop. Steps up in the pocket. He'll fire to the right side. Caught by Diggs. Stay oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. 30. No Welcome once again to the Irish NFL Podcast, brought to you in association with the42.ie. Don't forget you can find us on Twitter at IrishNFLPod and subscribe on iTunes and SoundCloud for all our past episodes. I'm Mark Cockrell, a pleasantly smug Patriots fan this weekend, and I'm joined as always by Brian O'Leary, a gloomy New York Giants fan. Good evening, Mac. Good evening, Brian. And Gordon Bridgefield, a perturbed Pittsburgh Steelers fan. Mark, how are you getting on? I'm good, Gordo. I'm Remarkably good this week. Yeah. Um, joining us as a special guest this week, we have Steve O'Rourke from the 42.ie, their resident NFL expert. Steve. Thanks, thanks for having me. Yeah, no, it's great to be here. Yeah, you're a Raiders fan, I remember correctly. Yeah, from my sins. Yeah, but there must have been many of them. Mm-hmm. We will, if we can, get fit in a bit of chat to maybe talk about Gruden, obviously, having you on as well. Uh, we've talked about him before on the pod, but uh, always good to get Raider Nation thoughts in relation to the appointment oh, have, as well. I have a lot of thoughts on Gruden. I'm sure you have a few. Well, gents, look, last weekend's games were about as bad as an advertisement for uh, the NFL in Europe and UK as you can get. I mean, especially on Sunday, it wasn't exactly a recruiting tool. We went from despair to triumph in the space of seven days. We are talking, we kicked off the pod today with Stefan Diggs' touchdown, which we'll come to in due course. But while we always have unbelievable performances, while we always have so much drama, this year it seems to have taken up a notch. And particularly the games on Sunday night, uh, absolutely unbelievable. I, I, I must admit, I, we can talk about the AFC in due course, but you know, it's again one of those predictable things. You know, another Patriots Steelers championship game. It's always the same old, same old. Oh, oh, sorry, sorry. Did something happen to this? Oh, oh, sorry, bro, Gordo. We won't, we won't talk about that. Thanks, Brian. Or thanks, Mark. Yeah. It's okay. Um, but let's start with the NFC and particularly the miracle in Minnesota. Saints at Vikings. Yeah, what a what a game, what a game. The second half in particular. I mean, the first half. I mean, the Vikings, the Vikings were favourites going into the game, and you know, if you watch the first half, and I'm sure there's a lot of fans out there who would have said a half time, seventy nil, right? It's time to hit sack and go to bed because this game is over. But NFL being NFL, and in the years, but even last week we touched on how many comebacks we've seen this season and in particular playoff games and last year. But the Saints again rallied in the second half. Drew Brees again was fantastic. He threw three great touchdowns. Um, kind of in the background now, really is the Saints come back because of what happened in the last couple of minutes with, uh, well, the last couple of minutes, the last 10 seconds. But I mean, even before we get to the fourth quarter, as yeah. you say, first half 17 0, Vikings reminding everyone, and America, bear in mind they haven't been on prime time an awful lot. They are a complete team. They were doing it in all three phases of the game. Drew Brees, as you say, came back and got a great t- one touchdown back. Marcus Williams, we'll come to him again, ends up with an interception and they get another touchdown. It's 17 14 and it becomes tense. Um, Vikings get a field goal. Drew Brees, 21-20 takes it, Brian. And then the drama continues on from there. But, you know, when yeah. the Saints took the lead, it looks like all the momentum's with them. Yeah, and even prior to that, they had a big stop. And then they blocked the punt. And they took the ball at the 40-yard line on the, on the, side, the Vikings side of the field. We had four, uh, I think the reason, four, four to five minutes left. 
they didn't waste much time and there was one uh, one picker passed again junior I think he took 25 yards off that from Braze where he went down to the outside and then I think it was the next play he was a brilliant uh, outside route to uh, Camry who to be honest is just as good a wide receiver he is a running back this season and mm. you, you know at that stage okay you had a feeling may this could come down to a field goal but uh, yeah the Saints have got themselves into the lead after nobody would have seen that at halftime so a great wheel route they've made it 21-20 Camry as you say Drew Brees an amazing pass Case Keenum there has the ball goal though Four minutes left, uh, five minutes left, I think, was on the clock at a particular time. Can Case Keenum bring Mini back from the brink? Yeah, it was, it was really interesting to watch Case Keenum, a, guy, a quarterback, third-choice quarterback, started the year, and somebody who I don't think anybody expected to be at this you know position in his career, at this stage of his career, and to be in a playoff with the Minnesota Vikings. But if you look at the plays they ran through, and it's really, really interesting. So it's first and 10 in Minnesota, 25. Murray for 14 yards. First and 10, Murray no gain. Uh, second and 10, Keenum passed for 27 uh, yards to right. Uh, first and 10, Minnesota 34, Keenum short passed for three yards to McKinnon. And in second and seven, McKinnon no yards. Third and seven, uh, pass complete to Diggs. And it suddenly, it, but it was a challenge, and it's four and seven, and the field goal kick. Um, so, yeah, it was a really interesting lead up to it, and I think really well managed by. Well, you mentioned Casey. one of the passes to, to Diggs there in, in relation to it. When it needed to, he rocked up. I mean, mm. I haven't seen enough of Keenum. You see the highlights and everything, but mm. he's thrown the ball really well. I mean, any team to lose one quarterback is unfortunate. To, to lose two seems a bit careless. But there you are, the Minnesota Vikings, third string. Case Keenum's stepped up to the mark all season, and he gets it. But I have one problem, and the problem is throwing the ball on the third down there, keeping time on the clock. I'm sitting at home watching this and kind of screaming and going, you've left too much time. You leave too much time for a Hall of Fame quarterback. A Hall of Fame quarterback is going to punish you. Yeah. Drew Brees, 20, um, sorry, no, 23-21 down, marches down the other end of the field. Yes, again, maybe there was some questionable play calling a little bit there to not drag it down to four zeros on the clock. My only thinking on that tour down where he decided to throw was the fact that Payne, uh, Sean Payne had killed himself by giving away two... Ch- he challenged two yeah. plays in the second half, giving up... Two, two timeouts, two two time yeah. and no more challenges in the game. So, yeah, I understand that, you know, try to keep the clock moving. But they were probably thinking, one, well, if we complete it, we're in here in terms of we could... That's right, you could probably kick it in the end And the, the fact then, if they do have to go down the field after the touch, uh, sorry, after them comp- uh, taking the field goal, he's then in a situation where they've only got one timeout and can he manage that with one timeout but, left? But that's what I'm saying. We get to the Saints, they march down the field, they again, a runner went out of bounds, they again threw and they went incomplete. So they stopped the clock, they kicked the field goal, 28 seconds left, and you kind of thought, oh, they've left a little bit of time, but that's not enough. And then Steve, I mean, you know, take take it from there. It's, it's almost like, and sorry, just before you start, I want to say it's almost like Alex Smith and Breeze back in 2011. It's like going both ways. But who could have predicted the end? Yeah, it was such a strange decision by the Saints defense, the way they structured themselves, because they completely ignored what the Vikings play call was. And they set up the same way on first down, second down, third down. And interestingly enough, the Vikings ran the same play on first down, second down, and third down. Just happened to work spectacularly well on third down. When Case Keenum actually took the snap, he was in shotgun, and then he took a five-step drop. So he was miles back. He was inside his own 28-yard line, I think. When he threw the ball up, I was thinking to the right-hand side, I thought it was a throw <laughs> to nowhere. It seemed like an absolute, like, just air ball. And then you see Diggs is in the area, and he comes down with it. And then you see Marcus Williams coming through and taking out his own man, Crawley. <laughs> and then you're, you're, you're first, my, you're, my first reaction was, step out of bounds. There's only four seconds left on the clock. Step out of bounds. And you're going, oh, there's no one behind him. <laughs> he's, he's going to score a touchdown. And it was just, 
I mean, the the play calling is so simple. It really is a well-designed concept. So it's Buffalo right seven heaven. The Buffalo is basically any B word, meaning a bunch formation. So B for bunch, obviously, there. The right is where the tight end lines up on the right-hand side of the play. The seven was the route that, was the hot route on the play, which was the route that uh, Diggs ran. Like really simple stuff designed exactly to take apart what the Saints were doing because you can get the ball to the outside and the idea is you, you get the ball close to the touchline and you're pushed in out of bounds, you kick your field goal. And he was well past the field goal line. It was a makeable. Now, given Minnesota Vikings' record with, with game-ending field goals, yeah. we don't know whether he would have scored or the, would have scored the field goal or not. But at the same time, Give yourself that opportunity. Absolutely. Yeah, and, yeah. and for the Saints not to adapt after seeing it the first two times and then seeing them line up in the same formation, like they knew what they were going for. Yeah, know? and it they were trying really to protect the, the sidelines a little bit, but it was the same shell formation. Yeah, which, which then makes Marcus Williams' decision to dive into oh. the tackle the way he did so this, ridiculous. Like, I've got one. I've I've got one bit of sympathy for him. No, you see, I I have no. You 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 put this in a brief before we started this com- uh, conversation. Uh, Marcus Williams question mark sympathy and I said no none whatsoever is in he, all he needed to do was wait for him even to land and hug him to the ground and it was a tackle yeah he what he went for is he went for the flash play he wanted to take somebody out make the highlight reel if he literally had stopped watched him land with the ball and grabbed him it was a tackle that was it and he had another player there to stop him going out of bounds even yeah. if he came from this side Crawley yeah. comes from the other side they hold him up the one bit of sympathy I have is one name which is Levante David so Levante David, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers linebacker who gave away in week one a couple of years ago a stupid um, uh, unsportsmanlike conduct penalty. He basically hit the Jets quarterback going out of bounds and turned a 58-yard field goal into a 43-yard field goal. Nick Fole kicks it and wins the game. You don't want to give away a stupid penalty on the last play to give away the game. And the only thing I can say for Marcus Williams, and God love the guy more than anything I have to say, is he's coming in at such a speed that I actually think he's gone through his mind. If I nail him... I'm going to get 15 yards for hitting a defenseless receiver. And some part of me thinks he's tried to pull out slightly. I don't think he's necessarily going for the flashy play. I think that's flashed through his mind. And he's just, he's actually mm. dived to where he thinks Diggs is going to land mm. and go to go out of bounds. But that's actually what I think. I thought he was thinking, I'm coming at him now, and if he, if he catches it, he's going to get out of bounds. He's going to dive straight so there. So if I go through him, well, yeah. he mightn't even keep holding the ball. But at the same time, he's trying to go, you know, not at the head, not at the legs, in the middle, kind of not hit him too badly that it's a defensive receiver yeah. and let him land. I, I was glad to see that he got a great reception when he arrived back in New Orleans because it's going to kill him for the season. He's, but, I mean, he had the inception. Sorry, the that's why I said. He yeah. had the inception at the start of the second half to help stimulate the recovery. He had a very good season. I think he was second among rookies in terms of reception rate, like, as in the least amount of receptions, and then sixth in tackling overall in the league. Like, he's a very good safety. But at the same time, he said after the game, he told reporters that his job is to be the eraser on the play, to wipe out a play. Know, That's man. not your job as a safety. Yeah. Literally, the clue is in the name. You are the safety <laughs> valve at the back of defense. The most interesting me that, thing for me, though, was actually Dig said at the, after the game as well that he took a mental picture of the defense yeah. before, the, before he ran the route. He knew that if he came down and he wasn't tackled, he could just trot in. He knew there was no cover. Like, if he knew that, <laughs> why didn't Marcus Williams yeah. know that why weren't the two safeties cheating to that side of the field you know uh, there was also a, a good story this morning where they were saying comparisons to the Patriots uh, interception in the Super Bowl a couple of years ago where Butler said after the game how did you know he was going to show it there he goes because we practiced it and Bill Belichick had continuously drummed into our head that play and then after the game they said to Sean Payton what did you say to them because the play clock was stopped before because it was an incomplete pass mm. and throw it down 
like at that stage Saints had called a timeout prior to that as well yeah, so they said left, yeah. why didn't you rally them all together and say whatever you do don't go through them play play wide squeeze the play that they're in the middle and they can't get out of bounds and that conversation didn't happen but I, I questioned some of the coaching times. You saw it at the Panthers last week, taking the inception on the fourth down play, losing about 18 yards of field position. Yeah. It's like, I'm not saying this as a Pats fan, but I'm saying Bill Belichick, I'm sorry, is saying to me, remember to do this. I don't care how smart you are, how many times you've been here, he's going to remind them again. And, you know, people make stupid decisions in the heat of the moment. And my God, that was one. I have to admit, I feel kind of, Happy for the Vikings in some respects. I mean, they've suffered enough. Is this the year they break the pain? You think of the 15-1 season, Gary Anderson and wide left, Favre's interception in 2009. It's before most of our times except for Brian's, but the four Super Bowl losses back in the 60s and 70s. You know, they've um, they've suffered enough as a franchise. And is it is it destined to be? You see a play like that and you kind of went, that's that's a sign. That's a sign from from someone somewhere. I, I remember high. going to the Wembley games, and every year me and the lads used to meet the same Vikings fan from London. He'd be at every game. He'd be drinking in the same bar. He'd be with his wife, and every year the Vikings were terrible, and we used to just slag him. And I always used to feel sorry for him. That's when the Giants were reasonably good. I was going to say <laughs> Giants fan slagging karma. Well, karma I mean, has we, definitely we, we, come back to bite. And you then on Sunday, I have to say after the game, I did think of him. I did think. Yeah. I said, I wonder how he is tonight. Yeah. Um, Drew Brees, we rightly said, looked three touchdowns. He yeah. had a fantastic performance, particularly in the second half. But remember, in the first half, he was 8 of 18. He had two interceptions. If he had played better, arguably, in the first half, they wouldn't have had that that problem. I yeah. mean, all credit to Minnesota's defense. But I just want to throw it out there. Drew Brees and legacy, overall, as a quarterback, he is a fantastic throw. I think he's going to hold probably... Next season, he's going to take over the yards record from Manning. He'll probably end up with the touchdown records in regular season as well. He's rightly up there. But still, he's only ever made one Super Bowl and only ever won one Super Bowl. Um, where does he rank? Uh, Steve, I'll throw it to you first. He's he's definitely a Hall of Famer. That's I don't think that's a question given the quarterbacks that are in there already. Uh, I do think that you do have to start looking at rings and start looking at actually this season and comparing it to the, the seasons where he was throwing for over 5,000 yards and ask, were the Saints actually making the most of the offensive weapons they had? And was bringing in pass-catching running back something they should have done three or four seasons ago to maybe give them another run? Now, in his defence, he this is the first time in half a decade he's had anything resembling a defence to kind of back him up as well. So they don't need to kind of try to score a touchdown in three plays every play because they're down by so many points. I don't think it affects his legacy because I think it, it was on the other side of the ball. It's not as if he threw a game-changing interception. I, yeah. I don't, and I, what, what worries me is that he's been involved in, I think it's six of the ten highest-scoring playoff games in history, and I think he's lost all six. Yeah. That, to me, is a bigger <clears throat> question mark on his legacy yeah, than I, anything that happened in I, this. Yeah, I think legacy as well, you need to define that a bit more clearly. Is legacy based purely on football and games, and yes. et cetera? Or his contribution, because it will if it will if no, it is. No, no, I'm doing it. I'm doing it on the Peter King. We ignore Darren Sharper and lots of things when it comes to the Hall of Fame. Yeah. We say it's just on the field. I'm, I'm suppose I'm asking: Is he top five all time? Would you put him up in that pantheon? No, no, probably not. Just outside, probably. Yeah. I, for the, from the Saints' yeah. perspective, I think it's a massive, a big opportunity lost. Like obviously, they win, they go to championship game. I think I'm not, we're going to get into our picks later on, but I, I'd imagine the Saints would have went into that game heavily favoured to beat the Eagles and. You know, I just think, I was thinking Pat Saints Super Bowl, 
you know, it would have been a fantastic yeah. game to see Brady go up against Breeze. It's just for from a fan's perspective, it's a lost it's a lost opportunity as well. Yeah, it yeah. will be. But and, and sorry, Gordo, I know we cut you off, you're probably gonna talk about the legacy he had in after Katrina and recovering New Orleans well, generally as well. Well, well I just think he's gonna go down as the contribution he's given to New Orleans and what he's brought to that city. I don't I don't think you can question that and I think that is that will definitely play a huge part into why he becomes a Hall of Fame quarterback. Yeah. And, and and that's why the Hall of Fame isn't just based on your playing stats. Because as you've seen, some players who've got the best playing stats in the world aren't getting into the Hall of Fame because of their contribution off the field. Yeah. So I think you ha if you put it all into one package, no, I don't think it affects his legacy. I think he will go down as one of the better quarterbacks of our generation. Uh, top five, probably not in my opinion, but for what he's done for New Orleans, definitely... Hall of Famer and yeah you can't really question it based on that and especially since it was the other side of the ball and the fact he did it with two franchises as well I mean people yeah, forget charges. how good he was with the Chargers yeah. as well yeah. so. he will be back it's like he's yeah. retiring and, and also uh, of course he's the one name mm. that always makes Dolphin fans cry mm. yeah. when they didn't pick him but went for Donald Culpepper instead I mean if, if in fairness if they had picked him Nick Saban would still be in the NFL yeah he got a bad injury report and it just goes to show you have to be really careful with your doctors when you're an NFL team <laughs> <laughs> this is it. This is it. Um, right. The only other thought I just wanted to leave with, we've posted some of these on our Twitter page, is actually even better than the Buffalo Bills reaction videos in the last week of the season. I think of the reaction videos coming out of this touchdown. Um, the Scott Hansen one on Sky Sports is is impressive. I, I wasn't sure was he celebrating a touchdown or um, he'd been caught in an intimate moment. Tony was calling it a tie or something. It was it was bizarre but fantastic. I, I, I mean, it's just the excitement and the passion. The reaction of, it. of the two guys, I thought, was, was what made it even funnier. They didn't know what it, what to do. They, yeah. they, like, <laughs> Jeff was like, "Hi." Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, I thought it, I, I found it a bit. But <laughs> the sideline, the sideline footage oh, of yeah. the Vikings. Yeah. I mean, yeah. if you go to our Twitter page, you'll find it on YouTube. Turn the sound up. Just listen to the atmosphere in that yeah. stadium. Um, rocking. Oh, unbelievably rocking. And look, Saints fans, don't be too upset. You robbed them in 2009. These things come they, around. They did and that. the they Vikings did that probably them, yeah. deserve it. Okay, uh, let's turn to the other side of the NFC um, uh, battle, if you like. On Saturday night, the Falcons went to the Eagles. Um, and if you didn't realize by the disturbing masks that they put on at the end when celebrating, the Eagles were actually the underdogs here at home. And they certainly acted accordingly. They snarled and snorted, barked and bit, and they hounded the Falcons in all aspects of the game, especially on defense. Cave Canem indeed. There was also a new immaculate reception in this game, which in fact probably led to the most key three points at the end of the first half, because otherwise the Falcons would only have needed a field goal and not a questionable set of, shall we say, game decisions that were taken by Steve Sarkeesian. Steve, um, fascinating game, obviously very different type of game, and uh, but still dramatic at the end, very interesting how it all broke down. Probably my favourite game of the weekend, weirdly enough, um, like as dramatic as the Vikings ending was, the rest of it was actually, until the last two or three minutes, was actually quite stale, the, the game, because like, we, like a lot of people thought the game was over. This one was... This was one was in play and it, it, it shows the importance of home field advantage because I don't think they get that catch in bounds with one second remaining in the first half. If that's in Atlanta, I really don't think it works like yeah, that. Yeah, I agree with you. Like Very home, dubious. Yeah, home field advantage is so important in, in, in situations like that. And obviously the ball bouncing off the knee and into the receiver's hands, you know, moments beforehand as well. It, it just I think that the main takeaway from this game is that encapsulated what Steve Sarkeesian has done in terms of negative plays to the Falcons offense this season that final series inside two minutes was just terrific throwing a fade on first down even though it's a really low percentage throw 
going to your third string running back, Terran Brown, who has touched the ball in three games on second down. Third down, slant to Julio, I have no problem with that. Fourth down is just the worst play you could ever imagine for finishing a, a game because, you know, even in Madden, you, you line up with as many receiving options as possible. Four, and even use a running back as a fifth receiving option if you can. What they did was have the field and giving the Eagles loads of defensive options, had Julio as the only option on the throw out on the right-hand side, and he slipped. And once your one receiving option slipped, who was supposed to throw the ball to? Derek Coleman, the fullback, lined up on the far side of the field. Absolutely ridiculous play calling. And 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 just that four, those four plays just summed up what Sarkeesian has done with that Falcons offense all season, I think. And when you saw the replay, Matt Ryan coming across, he actually did look... He did look you know what's the alternative here? And it wasn't so a case of okay, I'll throw it up. But yeah, as you said, he slipped, and that was he was never going to bring it down. And, and the Eagles' defense actually were on record of saying afterwards, as soon as they came on the field, as soon as they lined up, and that we knew what the play call yeah. was, I which mean, shows the value of film study. I mean, th- there's a reason they keep sitting down in the room for hours and hours every week to watch what the tendencies of offenses are, because you learn to read them. You, you know, Malcolm Butler in the Super Bowl, like they yeah. they had seen that play on film, they knew what was coming, and he was able to make a play. Um, I I think on the other side of the ball, I think the the Eagles need to be given credit for the way they managed um Nick Foles, uh, with the run pass option. The run pass option, you know, was mentioned over and over and over again in commentary. I think just really quickly, what what people might not realize is that RPOs is it's not like a regular play action pass. It's it's you hold the ball in. You could even for a half second, maybe more until you see what the defender, either a linebacker, a Sam linebacker, or the defensive end is going to do, and then you decide to either hand it off, keep it, or throw it. And that suits quarterbacks who you don't trust. And there was very good reasons not to trust Nick Foles in in that game, as we saw on the very first throw of the game. I was going to say, the very very first two plays of the game, it looked like it was going to be another series of pain for Philadelphia. We talked about Minnie's pain. You know, Philadelphia have equally suffered. First throw of the game... Big play action pass down the field. It falls 25 yards short. Like, it wasn't even close enough for the wide receiver to run into the defensive back and draw an OPI. He got the penalty, was it? No, he didn't. Oh, sorry, because it was miles away from him. But the second play then, JHI runs for nine yards off left tackle and fumbles the ball and they turn it over. And the Falcons quickly get into the lead and you're starting to wonder, you know, what's going to happen here? Is this going to be another... Um, disappointing fizzle out for the Philadelphia Eagles. I mean, I said they they bit like dogs. I mean, they showed that tenacity and they fought and they fought and they kept in the game. But coming back to your point on Sarkeesian, three postseason touchdowns was all the Falcons got all season. Two of them were based off muff pumps and therefore a short field. All season long, he had games with seven points, with 10 points, with 13 points. He has taken a Ferrari, the highest scoring offense last year, with basically the same players and he's ripped out the engine. Yeah, that's right. I, I'm unsure whether he'll hang on to the job. I suppose they won't really make that decision until later in the off season. But there's justification why he shouldn't be there. Well, there's the um, Alabama offensive coordinator job he could go back to for his one game he had there last time around. That's yeah. that's true. Brian DeBall just gone to the Bills as offensive coordinator there. Um, if we flip it, I mean, look, great performance, as I said, by the Eagles to come through in the end and, and survive the game, if you like, uh, and limit the Falcons to only 10 points, a very dominating position and uh, uh, a very dominating reaction on defense. However, they only got 15 points. And if we turn our attention to the NFC Championship game, is that really going to be enough to live with the Vikings and the far more dominating defense that they bring to the table? They're very two even very evenly matched sides. I mean, if you look at the stats all year long, they're very similar in terms of offense and defense. Um, I guess it's, it's a case of um, who do you trust more, Case Keenan or Foles? And the way you, sh- you shouldn't trust either of them. But 
Keenan hasn't had the better season. Foles has only come in because of the Carson Wentz injury. Didn't do a lot in the in the, in the few weeks which, which he was playing during the regular season. And you could tell last weekend they were trying to do their utmost to limit any risky plays that he needs to put him, put it where, where he's going to put it, the ball into his hands. Um, I'm leaning towards the Vikings on this game because, as I said, I think they will do more on defence to upset Foles and the Eagles offence than, uh, than the Eagles will do to Keenan. And I could see the Vikings winning the close one. Yeah, the, the Jeff Fisher backup quarterback bowl uh, <laughs> as, as they're going to rename the NFC Championship. Yeah, I think they're almost identical teams on paper. It's actually incredible. Like, you know, both front fours are able to put pressure on quarterbacks. Both quarterbacks are able to make really good throws and really terrible decisions. Uh, both have strong running games. Uh, for me, I've been backing the Vikings for, for a long time now and I, I, they're my Super Bowl pick, so I think they'll come through this game. Yeah, I think for me, and we've discussed it in the past, is the, the Case Keenum point and he worries me and it was that touchdown uh, or sorry, the interception he threw in the game and it was straight after New Orleans touchdown and you're just seeing the pressure if you get to Case Keenum and we've discussed it, that again, you, if you get pressure to him, he's going to make mistakes. It was a first and ten, he had no need to throw the ball and he threw the ball into double coverage and this interception leads to a uh, touchdown. So I think they're the kind of points that worry me about Keenum but then I think more things worry me about Foles. So for that point, at that point really only, I'm going to go, and also the fact that the the game, uh, the Super Bowl is on in um, Minnesota and going with the Vikings, I think they, they'll win this one. Yeah, I, I, I'm with the Vikings. I do think it's a bit of a team of destiny with the result of the game, the divisional playoff there. I mean, it could be that, that weird uh, run we had uh, before where um, a cu- couple of years when the Patriots won the Super Bowl, Detroit beat, uh, won their wildcard game in a last-minute controversial play. Dallas beat them next week on the controversial play. Seattle beat Dallas. Patriots beat uh, Seattle. It was it was kind of a, a sequence. So maybe they'll get gazumped by some dramatic Nick Foles touchdown last minute. But I don't see it. Very evenly matched. Very uh, agree. You compare the running backs. You compare the wide receivers. I give a slight edge to Mini, but there's not much in it. But for me, they're the more complete team. Eagles front seven is scary. The Vikings front seven is scarier. So I go Vikings as well. So we're we're in agreement, gents. Um, before we actually turn to the AFC uh, games, I suppose just as a brief note, I mean it's uh, four quarterbacks that are left in the competition. Now we have Tom Brady, of course. Uh, Blake Bortles, Case Keenum, and Nick Foles. Um, not the four you'd normally expect to see. And is it a case that something's gone wrong? Or are we just remembering that, look, a good run to run the attack and good defense will get you there as well? Yeah, I think the big thing now that we're seeing is that you don't need your all-star franchise quarterback that can do everything and save you every single down. I think um, teams are becoming a lot more... Uh, sensible with their play calling and also with their scheming and working with quarterbacks like Blake Bortles and if you have a strong run game it takes a lot of pressure off your quarterback if you've got a strong defense it gives you gives you a lot more time for your offense as well so I think it is a lot more down to the coaching and the scheming of the NFL I still do think passing is very very important but um, yeah I just think when you've got a quarterback that is capable that is what will lead you to a run like this is when you've got schemes that are run by offensive coordinators. Yeah, and I think a good stat to impress your mates with down the pub over the next week is that Tom Brady has as many Super Bowl appearances as the other three quarterbacks have playoff appearances combined. So, yeah, there's a lot of experience gap there, I think, this weekend. Yeah, well, I mean, I suppose if we combine all the quarterbacks together, they do have some good numbers. I mean, between them all, they've got seven Super Bowl appearances, five Super Bowl rings, 12 conference championships, Oh, oh, sorry. That's just that's just Brady. Yeah, that's that's right. Um, there, there is an alternative narrative you can put on it. If Julio Jones doesn't slip, if Marcus Williams makes a tackle, you're talking more about, you know, uh, an, an NFC South uh, Championship game. Well, you're talking yeah. about an NFC South Championship. But you're talking about like experienced quarterbacks yeah. are necessary to get yeah. there. 
Um, there was one other experienced quarterback we'll come to in due course, but he didn't even have a hope with the, the position he was left in. Before we turn to that, there was some coaches' news in the market. Mike Malarkey has been released by the Titans, and a few more rumours uh, filling as to who's going to fill some of the coaches' spots. Of course, we have the rule that you can't fill a spot until you've been eliminated from the Super Bowl. So Pat Shermer, Josh McDaniels, Mike, Matt Patricia, they're only rumours at this stage, but they seem to be firming up. Yeah, there seems to be agreements in principle that once the season's over for each team that they will sign the contracts, become the head coaches. Pat Shermer's going to the Giants. As a Giants fan, I'm a bit underwhelmed by that one. I think he was way down the list of priorities in terms of who he wanted. McDaniels seems to be got leaned towards going to Indianapolis Colts. Um, surprised with that one. I didn't think because of the AFC rivalry that they have that uh, he would end up there. And then you have uh, Matt Patricia going to take the Lions job. So they seem to be firming up as we go along. Yeah, further evidence that maybe that ESPN report was right and Belichick is just blowing it all up um, by sending teams or his top coaches to rivals in the AFC. Yeah, I, I think the point you're making there is very true. It seems like everything's going to implode inside in New, uh, New England and, you know, it could be a tough few years ahead for Belichick and the clan. Just like when he sent Romeo Cornell to the Browns to destroy them, then McDaniels to the Broncos to destroy them. He's just planning it. I well, don't know what he's got against the Lions. Actually, the Lions, of course, gave Belichick his first job as yeah. special teams assistant back in 1975. Well, the, 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 so. other, the other point I'll just make is that, it, again, since the story, another you know, rumour has come out that apparently, again, Robert Kraft doesn't make the business decisions. It's his son who doesn't have a close working relationship with Bill Belichick. Is Bill, Bill Belichick willing to build a relationship with him and go through it all again? And that they're the questions, Mark. You know? Well, don't worry, Gordon. We'll get on to the greatest franchise that the NFL has ever seen in due course. But before we get on to that, there is one other... Sorry, there's two other coaches we're going to talk about. First of all, Steve, with you being here, Raider Nation, uh, very excited, delighted, d- delirious. The return of Chucky. What does it mean other than the new Charles Play movie? Yeah, you know, he he's such an important figure, I think, in, in Raiders kind of history, uh, even though he won his Super Bowl against the Raiders, which is such a bizarre situation as well. But I, I think it's, I think it's not like he's been away from the game completely. It's not like he's been in college. It's not like he's been on a farm somewhere. He's been around thirty-one other NFL teams, seeing everything they do, and being able to maybe take the best of what they do in practice and implement it with the Raiders. I think he's a really good talent evaluator in terms of his other coaches. So even though Olsen, in particular, the offensive coordinator, doesn't. Oh, impress me that much it's going to be it's going to be Gruden calling the plays anyway so his job is more a, a personnel kind of a role and um, the, the, the big worry is that Gruden gets involved in player selection in the draft I think they need to give Reggie McKenzie another couple of seasons at that because I think he's he's proven his worth you know you can't keep going back to the Mac and Carr draft but anyone who can hit on Mac and Carr in two rounds deserves a bit of leeway I think yeah. so yeah o- overall the money doesn't bother me it's not my money it doesn't uh, it doesn't affect the cap uh, I think it probably has reset the market for coaches though I would say that I think other teams are going to have to pay a lot for, for big name coaches in future but yeah excited but he won't last 10 years no no hopefully not not in the NFL world, no. No, no. Uh, I think Al Davis is kind of silently nodding with approval and saying, just win, baby. Um, but uh, it is exciting to have him back. There is one more coach we have to turn our attention to this week. If we think about the Jaguars and Steelers game, I'm not going to be talking about Doug Marone, though, unfortunately, Gordon. You know, there is a reason that the great teams, like teams that can win a playoff game every year for the last seven years, only look at one game at a time. 
Um, there are other teams, however, that despite having the most talented roster in the AFC, sometimes miss the playoffs, sometimes don't make the Super Bowl, sometimes lose a game that everyone would have expected them to win, and if they were any good, really, with proper leadership from the top, would have won. Their head coach was talking about me and the Patriots twice back in Week 13. After a Week 15 loss, all they could talk about was beating them another time. That arrogance and nonchalance tends to come back and bite you, and the dysfunctional leadership surely can't remain. You had amazing performances from Big Ben Roethlisberger against the best pass defense. You had Antonio Brown performing as he always does. But yet again, they're being let down by the head coach. He writes great songs, but Will I Am must go, surely. Well, I, look, I've, I've discussed this recently, and I don't think he's going to be gone. I don't think the Roonies make decisions like that. They're not, they, they won't make a quick decision and suddenly decide after one playoff loss like this that they're going to do it. Although I do think they need to consider changing up something in the organization because he doesn't seem to have the respect of the big-time players because otherwise you wouldn't have Le'Veon Bell coming out talking about his franchise tag, talking about his contracts. You wouldn't have Antonio Brown doing what Antonio Brown does a lot of the time. Um, but for me, I, it's just disappointing. He looked, there was pick, he was caught on camera quite a lot and he looked like a lost puppy. He, he just didn't know what was doing, he, what was happening. He couldn't make changes to the game plan and, and, and scheme better and I think the first quarter was the one that really ruined it for us um we lost the game in my opinion in that first quarter the Steelers just didn't turn up um and I think it was after the first touchdown is the one I really want to touch on and it's the run of plays that you look at it. it's the Steelers at the 10 40 on the clock they go first and 10 second and 10 third and eight four and two and then they punt Jags then nine o'clock go first and 10 first and 10 second and 10 third and four four and four punt and then it's back to the Steelers. And they go first and 10, Bell, one yard. Second and nine, Bell, minus two yards. And three and 11, interception. And it's that interception is the one that kind of just showed me that they weren't ready to play. You could see that their mind wasn't set in that game then and there. It was a 7-0 first um, quarter, 5-37 uh, on the clock, third and 11 on the 10-yard line. And Big Ben goes through his reads, uh, goes left to right, and uh, decides that he's going to throw to 89 McDonald, who's running across the field isn't even the main receiver. Um, and he's tightly marked by Mac, as in there's no spare by Jack. Miles, Miles Jack. Jack. Miles hit the road, the, Jack. There is no separation between them, and he just lofts a pass out there. There's no intent, no intensity. And it was just one of those interceptions that just when you watch, you kind of go, all right, yeah, we, we, we don't really want to be here. And then the worst thing is then it's turnover, interception, and it's first and 10, four net, 17 yards, touchdown. Like, so, yeah. Uh, it's painful though because when you say he had the well I, I refer to it as the Jim Caldwell face uh, basically of uh, you know uh, confusion on, on that, his, that's, sorry, that's a confusion yeah it was it was uh, pretty bad confusion on his part um, Steve we talked about it offline that they've got serious salary cap problems which seems impossible in this day and age particularly in this season but they might lose Bell uh, they haven't done it enough and even in this game though it was kind of an encapsulation of what goes wrong. They should win this game. Even when they went 14-0 down, they went 21-0 down. Got to give credit to the Jags going for it on fourth down on the goal line for the first touchdown. Marone saying, we're here to win this game. But it's so early, the Steelers weren't out of this. And then Big Ben, and he threw for a ridiculous yardage. Was it over 500 yards in the end? Four, 469 yards. 469 five, five yards, five TDs against the top pass defense. Uh, even when the Jags went 28-14, 28-7 up with the scoop and score, silly celebration penalty, big bend towards the end of the second half, 
an amazing strike on fourth and 11 uh, to close out the half. And you're kind of going, oh, they're still in this. Yeah, when he, you know, it was one of those ones. It was fourth down and he put it in a position where he knew, look, he knew that if it wasn't caught for a touchdown, it was going to be an incomplete and we move on into halftime. It was a great throw, great catch. And you felt, yeah, them going into halftime after getting that touchdown that the momentum was with him. But in fairness to the Jags, Going up with the two scores makes things good for Blake Bortles. He's ten and zero where he hasn't thrown inter- when he when he hasn't thrown an interception. It's a good fit for him because he's not put in a position where he has to make these, you know, crazy throws to try to get the team back in the game. He can just you know bring them down the field. And even when they got back within one score in the fourth quarter, for example, there was twenty eight points in the fourth quarter, and uh, Fournette scored. Steelers, Steelers went down with a big bomb to Antonio Brown. You thought right, they're down by seven. Steelers are going to get this back now and they'll they'll, they'll level the game up. They went straight down the field, took six or seven minutes off the clock. Great drive by Bortles, and then a touchdown. They just seemed to, they just seemed to have the Steelers' number to say. Well, they lost Fournette for the second and third quarters mostly, and it's yeah. kind of like you know, Kurt Schilling's bloody sock, Michael yeah. Jordan's flu game. You know, in Jacksonville, they're going to say Leonard Fournette's wrapped up right ankle because he came back and he he maybe not the same, but he still gave them the option. There. No, he he was the difference in that game. But I, I would say for all the Jags fans and all the Jags players who are gloating after the game, Steelers made four horrendous mistakes in that game. The pick, yeah. the fumble that was returned for a touchdown, and the two fourth downs that they didn't yeah. just do QB yeah. sneaks on. And the Jags only won by three points. One of which was a terrible pitch oh, decision. The, the pitch, like to go nine yards backwards when you need one inch is just a B- crazy play. Big call. Ben is uh, seven for seven in the last year on, on uh, quarterback sneaks. He's like he's, he's two hundred and seventy pounds. Six foot seven. Yeah, Big Ben is be. bigger than most of the linemen. Like yeah. he has to fall forward in relation to it. It, it is funny because you say they only lost by three points. I mean, there was a time when Bortles is driving down. They ran that lovely um, design scheme to Bohannon because there was no in, uh, middle safety, and you kind of went, "Oh, they only needed a field goal, but a touchdown will do." They actually needed that touchdown yeah. in the end yeah. because Ben. I mean, the lateral pass to Bell oh. was a bit of beautiful genius. That was yeah. a great play. And I want to throw something up for discussion here. There are 40 odd seconds left. I think they got to the 10 yard line when Bryant ran out of bounds. So the clock has stopped. Strategically, they were down 10 points. It was 45 35. Strategically, here, I'm a big advocate of a simple plan here. Kick the field goal, now go for the onside kick and try and get the touchdown. There was one, in. one before that, sorry, Mark, to pull back a little bit. When they got the touchdown, they went onside kick. And they shouldn't. Oh, it's the worst should. onside kick in the planet. But he should, as well. he should have put it down and let them start at the 25. And you know, trust your defense to make true that, stops. That, that was I was screaming at the TV, and then the worst thing is it wasn't even an onside kick because he didn't even get the ten yards. That's that again. That's down Tom. Oh, you're just but going back to your point. They at the forty second mark kicked the field goal. I know a coach who would have kicked the field goal there. Yeah, he's coaching in the AFC Championship game. <laughs> yeah, uh, Belichick would have. Uh, uh, we're going to turn to the the Patriots game. Duke calls but it's least interesting. But there was a point in the Patriots game. I was screaming the telly on Malarkey because Malarkey decided to punt the ball on fourth and eight uh, with eight minutes left in the fourth quarter. And they were down They were down yeah. um, by 28 points. But I'm kind of going, you know, I almost wanted to do the uh, Tony Dungy line. You play to win the game. It's like, why are you punting there? It doesn't matter if it's fourth and 22. Your season is coming to an end, you know. Go for it. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And and look, um, the, the, the Steelers, I think you rightly call it out, Steve. It wasn't just the pick. It wasn't just the scoop and score. It was those two fourth down calls, which were... Somewhere on collectively, the, the game, the game management by the Steelers on the sideline led to all those disastrous mistakes, and the Jags took full advantage. I'd be surprised if Todd Haley was back. I yeah, really was. I, and again, it's rumored that again himself and Big Ben just don't even talk, uh, and yeah. how how your offensive coordinator and your QB can't get on, and like it just. I love the, I love the alignment of the stars. If Bruce Arians retires and Todd Haley gets fired in the same <laughs> in the same off season, there's, there's just something beautiful about that. 
Um, look, um, it's not really about the Steelers anymore, though, Gordon. I'm sorry to say they no longer matter. They nope. are out of contention and yep. only four remain. And the most unlikely of which, powered by their defense, which didn't, except for the two turnovers turn up against Big Ben at the weekend, is the Blake Bortles-led Jacksonville Jaguars. <laughs> so, uh, and one last thing, actually, Calais Campbell. Did you see, actually, yeah. he was interviewed before the game, uh, a, a couple of days before the game. He said, it doesn't matter how we win this. We could win this 2-0 or we could win it 45-42. It doesn't really matter. So get on yeah. him for the lotto numbers. Last game, guys, actually probably the least exciting dramatic game of the weekend. Patriots uh, were home to the Titans. They started slowly, the Pats, but when it mattered, second quarter, Tom Brady goes 16 for 22 for 152 yards and two touchdowns. Patriots pull up 21 consecutive points. And I'm not being smug about this because as a fan, you're always on edge and you're always nervous and we've seen great comebacks against us and by us. But at halftime, it really did feel comfortable. It felt like Mariota's not going to play from behind. Yeah. Pat suddenly found a pass rush, eight sacks being a franchise record. And um, it was efficient. It wasn't any more than that. Brady's jump pass to Amadota on third and 10 across his body is about the most exciting it got. But this is the problem, Gordy. You wanted to take a pop at the Pats. Everyone wants the SPM report to be right and it all to collapse. The excellence is taken for granted, but it's not easy. It's not easy making playoffs. It's not easy winning playoff games. I don't know. So you, give due credit. You get to go through the AFC East in the regular season and you get to go through the AFC South in the postseason. The two statistically worst divisions in football, according you've to DVOA. Win, you've got, <laughs> that's, yeah. That does not seem like a tough life to me. You've to got to win 12, 13 games and in the salary cap era and in the draft era with the Jets and the Bills getting high picks every season, it's tough. Nine seasons in a row in the playoffs, eight seasons in a row uh, yeah. having a first round bye, seven seasons in a row winning a playoff game. Maybe this is a year for the sixth Super Bowl ring. Yeah, I think you I think you pretty much summed up the the Viking or the Tennessee Titans and Pats game. There's not really much else to kind yeah, of forget just, the Titans. Yeah, it's just it's kind of dumb. But now I suppose it's up, up up into the next game. You know. No, no. Look, I mean, all I'm going to say is I'm fully on board. I'm going to have the Star Wars theme music uh, now going with the Evil Empire. I'm embracing the dark side. Tennessee, we are your father. This leads us to the AFC Championship game. If I'm being honest, I'd like to say this is going to be a walk in the park, but I really don't think it is. Because uh, I will state that last week you stated it would be a walk in the park for Steelers. Oh, no, I did. And yeah. it should have been, but you lost. You were at home and you should have won. Um, the, ja this, the, the Patriots don't have as good an offensive line as the Steelers do. We are now going to be starting Cameron Fleming at right tackle. And what I'm worried about more than anything is teams that get pressure with four players can take uh, uh, four players up front can take out Brady and put the Pats under pressure. The Patriots have beaten the Jags in the championship game before in 1998. Bill Parcells led Patriots beat Tom Coughlin's led Jaguars 26. Uh, but the line that sticks with me after the Buffalo game, it was easy to overlook the Jags. After the Pittsburgh game, it is impossible to underestimate them. I'm still on the Pats, but it's not going to be as straightforward as people think. No, for me, uh, I, I think the the Coughlin, everything to do with the Jags, there's just something about it. Um, and I just can't go with the Pats just based on, on you. So I'm going to go with the Jags for this one. Yeah, I'm going to... I'm gonna you're going to you're gonna go with the team and not your the, team out of the playoffs? Yeah, I'm going to go with the Jags. I just want the Jags to upset the Patriots. You came last in the picks lead, so we ignore that. <laughs> Steve? I've been around football long enough to know you don't back against Tom Brady. I, I think that the, the spread nine points is ridiculous. I think it will be a closer game than that. Agreed. But at the New England Patriots to another Super Bowl. Um, I'd imagine that Jags will stay in the game towards the towards the back end of the third quarter and similar enough to previous years, uh, Tom Brady then in the fourth quarter will just 
managed to pull them away, and I, I, I do believe they will cover the nine. I think they'll. Co- I don't think it'll be a high-scoring game. I think something around seven twenty, twenty-three, thirteen, something along those lines. But yeah, I imagine the Patriots will be in the final, and they'll play the Vikings in in Minneapolis. So I'm ignoring Gordo. Everyone else is on the Patriots at the Vikings. We as last week, we never got, we didn't get our picks right last week. We didn't get them right the week before. We will see how it all plays out. I'm going to leave you with one last thought, which was the best anecdote I've ever heard from the irrepressible Tony Romo. Brian's favorite man. He was telling Jim Nance... That Steve's not too fond of him either. Uh, yeah, Captain yeah. Obvious. He's not, well, the anecdote he gave to Jim Nance I thought was brilliant. He said, uh, Bill Parcells came into us one time. We're losing the game and we're losing it badly. He said, men, I've been in worse situations than this against Joe Montana and Bill Walsh. And we came back from that and we're going to come back in this and we're going to win the game. And Jim Nance goes, and I, and I bet that's what you did, Tony. He said... Oh no, we lost horribly. <laughs> it really fired me up. There, there would be one good thing about if the Jags win, Mark. Just one to point it out. Like Tom Coughlin has come back to bite you before in two Super Bowls. So he has. You know, it wouldn't be against the rounds possibility he does it again. And if Jaguars did beat the Patriots, I'd be the first to applaud them and say it makes no difference to the greatest franchise, the greatest dynasty that has been known in NFL history. Give me one. Oh, no, no. Nobody can answer okay. with another one. On that, on that bombshell, we will leave you. Uh, my thanks to Steve O'Rourke. Thanks, Steve, for joining us. Thanks for having me. Gordo, thanks as always. Thanks for having me. And Brian, as always. Thanks very much and stay classy. Thank you very much. This has been the Irish NFL pod brought to you in association with the 42.ie. And until next time, goodbye. <laughs>